0: Sister, sister, oh, so fair. Why is there blood all over your hair?
1: Whatever happened to baby Jane? To seek the answer to that question, we will follow a man plotting a murder. Highly specialized work. But Robert Aldridge has considerable experience in such matters. He has a dozen successful pictures to his credit. His stars are Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. The scene an Italianate villa in a once fashionable section of Los Angeles. Its halls, once crowded with the bright, the beautiful, and the celebrated, now echo only to hectic whispers, the insistent call of a buzzer, better left unanswered. A telephone that has become an object of fear, a supper tray that will not be touched, a window barred against the world, a hammer, a mute scrawl, crying for help from these elements director aldrich has fashioned a motion picture with a curious title whatever happened to baby jane betty davis is jane hudson joan crawford is blanche hudson but we must warn you if you're long-standing fans of miss davis and miss crawford this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done It is a bold essay in the art of the macabre. A venture to the ultimate reaches of terror. A motion picture definitely not for the squeamish. And we beg you, as the tension builds to the screaming point, as shock after shock assaults your senses, try to remember that this is only a motion picture. Try and remember. No, we uh, we can't show you anymore. Only when you see whatever happened to Baby Jane will you know, and the answer is total suspense. God,
0: if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what?
2: Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? you think I'm especially not a genius?
0: Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
3: Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
4: Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 241, Whatever Happened to
2: Baby Jane? This was a uh, first time watch for me.
4: Yeah, I'm going to expand upon that in a minute, but this is Listener Request, kind of, Yeah. number 19, brought to us by karen and i want to explain that (laughs) as best i can which is she gave us a review on apple podcasts saying that she wanted to have us cover more pre-1959 movies meaning like the Mm -hmm. golden age of hollywood all that kind of stuff
2: but you gotta tell you i don't think was originally our wheelhouse but As the years have gone on, I think we've gotten better at that. Well, we don't do it a lot, but we have done it a handful of times.
4: She's not even the first listener that's pointed out an affinity for the old stuff. Yeah. But I do think the majority of our listeners probably favor the more recent movies. We can tell by the download numbers. But we are definitely interested in pushing our boundaries, seeing how far we can go, learning about new stuff. So I reached out to her on Twitter and was like, hey, do you have some suggestions? Because we'd
2: like to yeah. to do this more. So we pressured her into a listener request. Basically, okay, yeah. yeah.
4: She gave us a list, and I would say that I probably had seen most of the list, but Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was a movie that I owned on Blu-ray for a few years and had never gotten around to watching. I knew that it would be right up my alley. Yeah, And I... Talked it over with you. I think you had seen some of them on the list, but not all of them as That's well. That's right, yep. And I was like, well, let's do this one. It's the perfect transition from September into the greatest October
2: because this movie's sort of considered a a horror movie. Yeah, I remember reading the description and it's like horror, psychological thriller, which is so weird. I, I mean, I know obviously like we have the old Hitchcock movies, but when I think about this era, horror is not usually what I expect to see. So, much like Eddie and the Cruisers, we're
4: doing a listener request that neither of us was super familiar with going in. Although the reputation of this film definitely precedes it a little bit. I think we know some of the basic idea of the backstory with the film's stars, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford.
2: Yeah, this like meta rivalry thing.
4: Yeah, and it's just one of those movies that looms large over this time period. Even if you haven't seen it, I think most people have heard of it. I think when I was younger and this movie was referenced or it popped up here or there, I didn't really know what to think of it because the title is very strange. It's a question. You don't know what Baby Jane means in that
2: context. It's hard to figure out what the movie's about from the title, that's for sure.
4: Yeah. So that's where we're at. We're going to do our best with this. We appreciate Karen reaching out with her nice review and so we're gonna try to do an older film She specified pre-1959
2: we broke that rule
4: although this movie well it was her list yeah yeah (laughs) this movie came out in 1962 but it's definitely the same kind of vibe yeah black and white very similar in a lot of ways to sunset boulevard which is one of my definitely favorite films of this time period i was keying in on that too yeah, I, I definitely think this movie owes some things to that story, but this is almost taking that concept to the next level yeah, it's of insanity. It's even darker. <laughs> yeah, it's weirder in a lot of ways. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I will say, and I mean, I've talked about it for people that listen to the show somewhat regularly, about over the past few months, maybe years now, me diving into 60s and 70s movies, and really that's like my favorite. I've been stuck in that era. like That's always kind of what I want to put on, but for years buying criterions, you know, they give you the year on the, like... Cover. On the cover. And when we would just be, like, looking at random criterions as we were wont to do, just browsing through stores, if it was something before, like, 1970, I would just, like, put it back down. <laughs> I don't know. I was just more drawn to well, like, yeah, more I think modern movies for a while. I- I've expanded. If we're going to have some
4: real talk... Yeah, let's hear it. ...and not be pretentious, I do think that it is a hurdle that... For many people, even people who consider themselves film fans, especially younger ones, you have to force yourself to overcome. I got there earlier, but I'm older than you. Yeah. Where I started to appreciate this stuff a while ago and have now revisited or visited for the first time a lot of these classic films. And you have to find your entry point. I think for me, it was a lot of the classic movie stars. Like I love yeah. Veronica Lake and Rita Hayworth, which predate this movie, although they don't predate Crawford and Davis, which is what makes those two actresses unique, by the way, is the fact that they survived this long. That's right. Whereas people like Lake and Hayworth, whose heydays were like the 40s, which is after Crawford and Davis's, which was the 30s initially they were gone by 1962. Oh, yes, they weren't right. really stars anymore. Whereas yeah. these two women managed to make it happen at, at middle age. But anyway, movie stars like that or certain directors, whether you want to start with somebody iconic like Alfred Hitchcock, yeah. uh, I know for me Billy Wilder was like a big one. But that's like your entry point and then you just you go for it and you have to also get out of the mindset too of well, all of these movies have a reputation and have lasted this long, so they all have to be five-star classics. Yeah. They're not all going to be for you. You're going to prefer different eras to others, different styles, different actors and actresses.
2: It, it's all a process. I just had no sense of when... Because I, obviously I had seen Psycho, thought it was a great movie. No sense of when that movie came out, though. Like I think I just pictured certain older movies... Yeah, but you're
4: talking like when you were... A lot younger. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, but, I mean, even for years later, I mean, I just didn't really have a sense of, like, what came out in 1930s versus 1950s. Like, I just didn't know. It's a lot to take in, which is where things like the
4: Criterion Collection or Criterion Channel can help because it curates certain things. But that's sort of just the entry point because you can go off on your own. There's a lot of great stuff that... WB Archives has That's put right. out on yep. Blu-ray I've from all of different oh, areas, yeah. going back to the twenties and thirties and stuff. It's overwhelming, but yeah. you have to make it fun, but you have to pursue the types of stories you might like. If you like noir films, there's a million of them, especially Absolutely. in the forties and fifties. If you like musicals, you can go
2: back all through time. If you like well, for me who likes like weird dark shit. There's actually a lot more of that than I ever would have thought.
4: Yeah, and a lot of the stuff that you do know and you do like was influenced by films you probably didn't see. That's right. Because even a movie like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is immeasurably huge in its influence, was also influenced by other stuff. You can go further back because Sunset Boulevard came out in like 1950, yet it seems like they might have come out at the same time. Yeah. But, okay, we're going to do our best. We're we're new to this. We're not going to spend a ton of time on the Betty Davis-Joan Crawford feud. There are books. There was a show (laughs) that was not that many years ago that was called Feud on FX. Okay, yeah. I think Susan Sarandon was in it, maybe.
2: I saw none of it. It's that guy who did Glee and all those other shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he
4: does like a million shows like that.
2: Uh American horror story. Right, yeah. There's a million
4: things. We're gonna touch on it a little bit, but we're not gonna do like a whole timeline or anything like that. Yeah, I'm certainly not a scholar on this topic. So anyway, if you're new to the program, you can follow us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. You can request the sticker on Twitter. You can let us know if you would like a specific episode. Do a listener request. We'll get to it
2: eventually. Or just show a mild amount of interest and we'll kind of pressure you into it. Yeah, yeah. force
4: you (laughs) on you. And you can find us on Letterboxd. You can track Matt's journey, actually, through these... Slowly, yes. ...older eras. I'm at Zach1983, Matt's at Matt Crosby on Letterboxd. A little bit of background on the show. We do listener requests. We do Give Us a Seconds, which is our mini-show in October, we do The Greatest October, which has a different theme song. You might
2: hear that next episode.
4: Yeah. I'm just letting people know because okay. it seems like we have more That's listeners true. now.
2: You're right. Yeah, we haven't really like recapped what we do, what the schedule is.
4: I mean, there's really nothing different about Greatest October yeah. other than
2: different theme, and we cover horror movies, which
4: right. we also cover other times of the year, too. But we
2: definitely treat it like it's the big part of the year for us.
4: Yeah, it is. We have fun. Yeah. I well, I just love horror movies and right. I love talking about them. But They're we also to try about. to cram an extra episode yeah, yeah. than we would normally do in a month. Whatever. Last year we blew it out to 2 months worth.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: right. <laughs> and in addition to all of that, we introduced a new thing where we do revisited episodes, which are brand new episodes but covering topics we already talked about in the early days of the show in when we were as good
2: Being better, yes.
4: Yeah, more in depth than what we used to do. We've done two so far this year. We plan on doing some more, and I think we'll carry it over.
2: we do One Trashy Summer?
4: Yeah, One Trashy Summer as well. There's nothing really different about that other than it's (laughs) like trashy movies. Yeah, which (laughs) I guess you could say is our (laughs) wheelhouse. Horror movies and trashy movies. Yeah. For some people, they're the same.
2: Occasionally. But for us, we differentiate. You'll see us attempt other things that never really take. Yes. Like on the record. Right, which might come back someday. Yeah, yeah.
4: All right. I just wanted to get everyone up to speed before we thrust a new theme song on you for October starting next month, just so everyone knows what the deal
2: is. Yeah. Like, what is this show?
4: As mentioned in the prior episode, it's going to be another quick turnaround as we kick off Greatest October. You should see another new episode early next week, and it's going to be a jam packed month. Hopefully. Things pan out where we don't really take our usual November break since we've already taken a lot of breaks recently.
2: A lot of breaks, although we need breaks. It's good to get rested.
4: Right, but we're not going to take like a three-week break or anything like we've been doing a lot in November's past. Let's get into it. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1962, directed by Robert Aldrich. Screenplay by Lucas Heller, based on the 1960 novel of the same name by Henry Farrell. This truly is a prelude to The Greatest October, as it was released on Halloween Day in 1962. Shit. The budget was $980,000. The box office was $9.5 which is a big hit in 1962.
2: I'd say so. It was
4: nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Actress for Betty Davis, Best Supporting Actor for Victor Buono, Best Cinematography, Black and White, Ernest Holler. Best Costume Design, Black and White, Norma Koch, which it won. Best Sound, Joseph D. Kelly. And the one thing that I learned just doing this episode was that they used to split up the categories between black and white and not black and white. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Based on these nominations, at least. I don't, I don't know. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane sort of fits in under a lot of different banners. You have claustrophobic horror, black comedy... Pure camp, but in the end, it's an iconic old school Hollywood film about rotten show business. Similarly to Sunset Boulevard, a more modern version would be like Cronenberg's Maps to the Stars, which is also like a dark Hollywood story, but there's a a million of them. Right. The dark and seedy underbelly of Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Mulholland Drive. The t- film stars Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, who feuded much of their careers, possibly starting as early as 1933. It seems like there's some debate sometimes about how serious the feud was, Yeah. how much they actually hated each other. It was
2: definitely used in the promotion of this film. That's the thing. I, I wonder when that really became a thing, drumming this stuff up. To garner interest. They definitely worked themselves into a shoot on this one. Yeah. <laughs> definitely <laughs> seems like they didn't
4: love each other, especially Betty Davis, who would take a lot more shots at Joan Crawford. Okay. Who seemed more demure about the whole thing, but there's a lot to it. Betty Davis never had the same kind of movie star looks as Joan Crawford and and forged her way as more of a serious actress. Not that she was unattractive, but it wasn't the same. Right, right. She wasn't necessarily given that same treatment, and she always sort of held that over Crawford, who was definitely more of your stereotypical Hollywood movie star in the 1930s. By the time Whatever Happened to Baby Jane comes out, they're both in their mid-50s. This movie was extremely difficult to get made. Hollywood in 1962... Not all that different in yeah. that mindset from Hollywood of twenty twenty one, where it was sort of like, okay, you're past
2: your prime. Like if I heard the elevator pitch for this, I'd be like, yes. I, I can't imagine a lot of like the studio execs at the time were like really digging this material.
4: Yeah, I don't think there was a lot of dark movies quite like this yet. There were some, but not yeah. a lot. It wasn't as common. In fact, this movie received an X rating in Britain. Ooh. Wow. Not in America, but in England, just because it's like a weird dark movie. Like they just right. there weren't as many of them. There's not really anything
2: like particularly salacious. There's in not this. like crazy violence. Yeah.
4: Yeah, there's some violence and some stuff, but there's not really any language or sex or it's anything.
2: Relatively tame, especially for what we're used to seeing as what would be an X rated movie in I don't know, the nineties.
4: <laughs> Showgirls. Yeah, yeah. Both of the leading ladies gambled a little bit on themselves, took less money than what they were accustomed to, to get some money on the back end, and it paid off big. This movie revitalized their careers. They were both used to playing exaggerated, larger-than-life women, and much like what happens to Baby Jane, Uh that style started to fade from films, and you had much more of a realistic, naturalistic feel a creeping bit more into it as subdued as you got closer to the new Hollywood era. Yeah, yeah. It, it was phasing actresses from the 30s and 40s and 50s out a little bit, which is what I sort of reference with some of the old time stars like Veronica Lake. It was just like a different time.
2: Yeah, this movie's kind of about that. Yeah. to some degree,
4: that sort of comes into play in this movie especially with the baby Jane or Jane character and that portrayal, you want that right. out of this. You want that exaggerated, larger-than-life thing. Betty Davis contributed a lot to the final product. She did her own makeup, which has become iconic. It's wild. <laughs> it's definitely what plays up the the camp factor of the movie. It's so over-the-top. She felt that... At this stage in her life, Jane would be the type of woman that would never wash her face and just keep adding layer upon layer of makeup. (laughs) So you get this sort of sad clown look almost. Yes. She also insisted that the movie be shot in black and white because she thought, why would you try to pretty up such a sad story? I think it works. In my head, I always imagined this as a black and white movie before ever seeing it, and I think I would have been disappointed if it wasn't.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Like At one point, black and white was a deterrent for me. Not anymore, <laughs> obviously. I've now watched tons of movies in black and white. But at one point in my life, I was always like, oh, man, I hope it's in color. <laughs> now uh, now it's not even a thought. But
4: Well, it's part of the hurdle that I was talking about earlier. It's yeah. like one of those mental things. I think when you're first getting into film seriously at whatever age... I think nowadays, because of things like Letterboxd and Film Twitter, you have like 17 year olds who are like super into like Seven Samurai or something. Right, right. But back when we were in high school, our idea of a black and white movie was Clerks.
2: I mean, I watched like Citizen Kane for film class, but 99.9% of the things I was watching just weren't in black and white. It just wasn't my existence. Right.
4: So, yeah, the two stars definitely played up how much they hated each other as part of the promotion, although it seems to have detrimental effects as far as the Oscar campaigning because Betty Davis ultimately didn't win the Oscar. And then Joan Crawford as seemingly like an extra dig accepted the award on Anne Bancroft's behalf. Okay. <laughs> because Bancroft was was doing a play in New York and so she wasn't at the ceremony. So Joan Crawford sweeps up onto the stage just to accept the award. That's hilarious. They were definitely going at it through the press a lot. Aldrich tried to roll this all over immediately into the next film he did, which was Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which Betty Davis is in. Joan Crawford was supposed to be in it. She pulls out, supposedly, I think she was ill or something. I don't know. Doesn't do it. And thus, we never got to to roll this back and do it again. Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte is actually a cool movie similar vibe to this okay. one a lot of movies in this time period have this whole i don't even know what you would call this genre elizabeth taylor was in tons of movies like this oh yeah where it all builds to like a big secret being revealed that's right <laughs> like who's afraid of virginia Woolf? or yep. suddenly last summer oh yeah they oh, all I'm have all this like last summer they all have this big secret at yeah. the end of the movie <laughs> and Whatever happened to Baby Jane or Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte are exactly the same. Gotcha. They build towards some big reveal. Right. (laughs) That you didn't know was coming. I think that I would almost describe the vibe of this movie as like gothic horror, but set in modern times. Modern for when the movie came out. But it has that sort of mansion. It's like dark. There's an eeriness to it. Yeah, it's just sort of unnerving, but. Still grounded in, I guess, what you would call reality, although one of the characters is like losing their grip on it. All right, so let's get into it. The movie opens in 1917.
2: By the way, when I used to think of like old movies, this is what I picture where this movie starts off. Yeah, I'm like, I can't do this shit. Baby
4: Jane Hudson is a precocious child star working the vaudeville theater circuit across the country. Yeah,
2: vaudeville. I'd be like, boo.
4: <laughs> She's doing a song and dance routine Boy. and offstage, despite being a star. She is a monster.
2: But I want to... I get this friggin' song stuck in my head. I won't horrify everyone by singing it. Oh, but, you Oh, should. gosh.
4: <laughs> I want to point out, though, as we're seeing the baby jane star in 1917 that this is the only jane we ever know we never know what jane was born like right we don't know if she was born the way she is or if the fame corrupted her yeah. i definitely think because of how the story is well, we're she supposed definitely to take has, that the um, fame is bad
2: yeah i mean there's definitely like what happens with blanche in and living in that sh- shadow but i mean she definitely has like child star syndrome
4: Yes, fame as a road to misery, insanity, etc., I think one of the key points of this movie turns out to be that once you're no longer a normal, regular person and not treated like a normal, regular person, it's virtually impossible to ever go back. Yeah. And the mental toll that that can take on you. I know. You see it in real life still all the time. It doesn't happen to everyone. Some people right. fade to obscurity gracefully, I guess. But The rest of them go to OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Jane performs a daddy's girl routine with her father, who is also her manager. I would imagine that in 1962 and then also 1917, this all was seen as very innocent. But it... It definitely feels weird now to me. I guess little girls still call their dads "daddy" and stuff, but like to
2: sing all these songs—oh
4: no, endless songs about being a it daddy It seems girl. like it's,
2: uh, but they're like all the same song. <laughs> well, I think they really only do the one. Yeah, a I lot. know. But they do list titles to other songs, and they all kind of have "daddy" in the title.
4: Yeah. Oh, Yeah. It's a "daddy's girl" routine. That's yeah, yeah. What the character is basically. Baby Jane also has these dolls that are based on her looks. They Horrifying. are $3.25. The dolls, we should point out, are, I don't know, almost three feet. I know. Two and a half feet. Not,
2: which, not very practical to have at a house.
4: Yeah, I just want to point that out because it, it will stick out later in the movie as to how creepy this right. would be. yes. To have this thing. <laughs> it's almost child size, I guess, is the way you would want to describe that. Yeah. Meanwhile, her shy older sister Blanche lives in her shadow and is treated with contempt by the spoiled Jane. Blanche is often consoled by their soothing mother who must know something everyone else doesn't because she promises Blanche that one day she will be the one to achieve stardom. And she wants Blanche to promise her that she will treat Jane and her father better than the way that they treat her now. Kind of some weird foresight from mom.
2: Yeah. Like, how does she know I mean, no this? offense, but yeah. looking
4: at young Blanche, I'm not seeing movie star. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I've not a lot of charisma here either, you know. Time moves on.
4: Similarly to the, how it was for Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. Yes. When silent movies faded from popularity, Jane finds her shine diminishing as her particular style of performing falls out of fashion.
2: Thankfully for all of us. <laughs>
4: It's nineteen thirty-five. The sisters reverse fortunes. Jane becomes an albatross, an alcoholic, a joke, oh, no. to be pushed out of show business. While Blanche becomes the toast of Tinseltown, an acclaimed Hollywood actress. We see a screening room trashing of Jane using real footage of Betty Davis from an early film called X Lady from oh, wow. nineteen thirty three. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of like meta stuff yeah, yeah. in this movie because Joan Crawford's real movie is, comes up later. We'll point that out too, but gotcha. it's all real stuff. Gotcha. The two men who are, I guess are studio executives are trying to figure out a way to manipulate Blanche and through their conversation <laughs> yeah. we learn that
2: they've signed this deal like Blanche has this picture deal where they have to make Yeah. a movie with Jane in it.
4: Yeah, her stardom is their problem. Like they right. have to try to work around this this massive star because mindful of the promise she made to their mother, Blanche attempts to maintain a semblance of a career going for Jane. And as you said, even having a clause in her studio contract that guarantees acting roles for her sister.
2: these guys are just like, can we make a movie and put it in a drawer?
4: Yeah. Which is basically what they do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. At least according to Jane later, one evening at the height of her powers, Blanche's career is cut short when she is paralyzed from the waist down uh-huh. in a mysterious car accident that is unofficially blamed on Jane.
2: So this is weird, the way they shoot it and everything, which totally makes sense at the end of the movie. But I, when I'm watching this the first time, I'm like, huh, that was a weird choice to like make it so weird and you can't really tell what happened or how.
4: yeah. Well, they shoot it in a way where you can't see who's driving, and you can't see who's out of the car, and you can't see exactly what's happening. Right. It's just a car all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden drives but into a gate.
2: You see all the details, including like somebody speeding up in the car. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Although, even if you were to be suspicious, uh-huh. I just don't see how you would guess what right, it right, ends right. up being, yes. Where you're like, wait a minute, what? I know. <laughs> we later find out that Jane is found Three days later, in a drunken stupor...
2: Oh, boy. Me.
4: hold up in a motel room with a man she just met. Ugh, literally me. <laughs> then, credits.
2: <laughs> what is this, The Departed? I know, it is shocking. Really? We didn't see the credits
4: yet? <laughs> yeah, it's actually not nearly as long as... The Departed, which I think is like 25 minutes or something. Although,
2: it is fairly long. We kind of blew past it. I feel like the sequence with the execs talking about the whole career situation goes on kind of long. It's probably like 12 minutes at most.
4: It's it's nowhere close to The Departed. But, for that time period, I have to imagine that was a long time ago. This was like shocking. Yeah, To be like, oh yeah, credits. That's all preamble. (laughs) It's setting the scene. Because this movie is almost like a play. In that it's very limited in terms of the sets. That's true. It's very claustrophobic. A lot of it takes place just in the house. A lot of Joan Crawford's work all takes place in one room almost. So, yeah, this is all build-up for what will be the centerpiece of the film, which is these two women living together in their middle age. You almost want to say rotting away, but it's not physically necessarily, uh, mentally. yes. There's this withering away, locked into this house, a building of madness, a losing grip on reality.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a misery situation. We move
4: up to present day, which is 1962. The sisters now live together in a mansion purchased with Blanche's movie earnings. There are some curious neighbors. The daughter, played by B.D. Merrill, which was Betty Davis's actual daughter. I'm not going to necessarily bring them up again.
2: They're more just there. Tangentially involved. They're around. There's a couple. They they kind of represent would-be rescuers for Blanche that kind of never comes to be.
4: You mean like that guy in Cleveland?
2: That's right. Blanche has these little moments of hope that always kind of get you know stopped all over.
4: I got a Boo Radley vibe from this whole thing. Okay, yeah. Blanche is the movie star we pick up the story in 1962 a lot of people may have forgotten her but a local los angeles television channel is playing her movies all of a sudden that's right she's back in the public eye sort of people are thinking about her seeing her appreciating her work she's gaining a minor bit of celebrity in a sense and so She's the one that the neighbors are interested in. They don't know who baby Jane is. 1917 might as well be another universe.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure all the people that Jane introduces herself to throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah like You might what? know who I am.
4: Who? Yeah. yeah. They want to see Blanche, and they ask about Blanche, and they don't know what's going on. She seems tucked away. In some back bedroom that never to be seen. It definitely reminds me a little bit of To Kill a Mockingbird and Boo Radley in a way. I'm glad you're nodding on a
2: podcast.
4: (laughs) Blanche's mobility is limited by a wheelchair and the lack of an elevator to her upstairs bedroom. And she is completely dependent upon her sister Jane. And that's really it in a nutshell. That's the whole story. She is trapped in a bedroom upstairs. She can't really get down the stairs. There's no elevator. She's dependent on a woman who starts going crazy.
2: Yeah, which at first it feels like they've got a fairly harmonious thing working. Obviously something happens that sets Jane off a little bit. I don't know how frequent the verbal abuse was going on. Well, I think it was always a tense situation. I know somewhere
4: in my notes I wrote down, how did they ever make it to 1962? I know. (laughs) A lot of years have passed. I think it was definitely tense. I think the idea is that it's gotten worse and worse, but you're right, there was an incident. It was that Jane found out... That's right. ...that she's planning on selling the house, which hasn't really been revealed yet, but I do think that's the big thing.
2: That pushes her over the edge.
4: Yeah, and it also annoys her that Blanche's movies are on TV again. Yeah, yeah. But... Blanche is essentially waiting to die. There's nothing else going on. No. When you think about it, that is what is happening. There's Can you no bring me my
2: breakfast? Future. Yeah.
4: There's nothing to look forward Oof. to. It's just sitting in a room. I'm describing yeah, my own life. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> no,
2: oh no. no letterbox for Blanche. Yeah,
4: she's logging her own movies. <laughs> She is loving it, though. She's watching herself on the TV. We see Joan Crawford performing in a film called Sadie McKee from 1934, which is a real movie as well, and you definitely see that movie star quality with Joan Crawford, who is an actress that... I actually have seen probably way more Betty Davis movies than Joan Crawford, but I have seen some. I know I saw Mildred Pierce and maybe some a few other ones, but... It's weird because as we were talking about off mic, like Betty Davis was the more outspoken. She was definitely taking shots at Joan more often. Okay, yeah. That kind of a thing. And you think that because of the characters she played that she's maybe the crazier of the two in real life. But then you see
2: Mommy Dearest and you're like, oh, Joe
4: Crawford was a monster too. (laughs) You're like, oh my God.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not extensively familiar with either of their work. I know of both of them obviously, but have not seen a lot of those movies pre this.
4: Oh yeah, I wouldn't I would I'm definitely not an expert, but I've seen some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't heard of X-Lady and Sadie McKee. No. <laughs> that one You hadn't checked that one in yet? No. But it's possible that our listener Karen has, I'm sure yeah. uh she's more familiar with this stuff.
2: I'm sure she could drop some knowledge on us. Yeah.
0: Oh, Jane, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to ring for my breakfast. I was just wondering who all those people were at the back door. It wasn't anything. Just that nosy Mrs. Bates going on about your picture last night. Oh, really? Did she like it? Oh, really? Did she like it? She liked it. I remember when it first came out, it got a tremendous reception. The critics described it as brilliant. Do you remember what year you made that picture? But of course, you must too, 1934, right after I did Moonglow. I made a picture that year too. Oh yes, it was that comedy directed by Lloyd, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It was a love story. The longest night. Martin McDonald said it was the best thing I ever did. They never even released it in the United States. Feldman was very upset. He told me the company had a very bad year and they couldn't have... No, they didn't. They had a great year. They didn't want to show my film. They were too busy giving a big build-up to that crap you were turning out.
4: But even the simple joy of reliving her glory days via the magic of television is cut short for Blanche. And this will be something that happens over and over throughout the movie. Is that something will be going on, only to be interrupted, usually by Jane. Yep. (laughs) Jane is drowning in her own psychosis. She's resentful, mean, controlling,
2: drunk all the time. Keeps her empty liquor bottles, by the way. (laughs) Just when you get a shot of that, which there are a lot of.
4: Yeah, well, I think you could... Do the, probably the bottle exchange or something, didn't they, did yeah, they have that sure. back then for like five cents? Or is uh, that is that like more of like a recycle thing? I guess maybe they weren't doing that. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what they were doing with bottles back then. Jane keeps Blanche locked away. She says no to the neighbors when they would like to meet her. Blanche's main form of getting attention is this buzzer that she buzzes to get.
2: <laughs> Almost annoyingly so. <laughs> oh, we're getting to that. Yeah, I know. We're getting
4: to maybe... does Is Blanche a little bit... <laughs> does Jane have a point? I know.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's some great stuff here. Blanche definitely, obviously, mostly comes off as the victim. I mean, she's trapped. She's at the mercy of what Jane will do for her. But she does pull some shit herself. Blanche goes up there. She's talking about
4: the neighbors. And then she admits that the neighbors had seen Blanche on TV and were commenting about it. And Blanche it's just like... Oh, did they like it? <laughs> and this is the first time that Jane imitates right. Blanche's voice.
2: Which which she does quite well.
4: Well, in reality, it is Joan Crawford. Yeah, yeah. They, okay. they weren't able to quite pull that off. But it's eerie, though. It is, yeah. It's so weird and unexpected that even though it is clearly Joan Crawford's own voice, it's right. kind of freaky.
2: Well, they match it up pretty well.
4: Yeah. But yeah, her mocking her voice is so funny yeah. to me. It's like, oh, did they, like, And then Blanche the way that she doesn't respond or react to Jane sometimes is annoying. Yes. Rather than get mad or or respond, she always just kind of goes off on her own thing and and rolls with it. And then she she's talking about the particular film that was on TV. She starts a sentence with the critics described it as and you're just <laughs> like, "You know what? Blanche, shut the fuck up." Yeah, really. <laughs> She's a little high on herself yeah. even now in 1962. Later, Jane will also imitate Blanche's voice to place a liquor order after Hilarious. Blanche should
2: try to put a stop to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, calling back the doctor is the best one though. I don't know. I think the first one's the best one. Okay.
4: Oh, did she like? Because <laughs> it's just so mocking right to her face. Yeah. So there's so much to cover. There's the parakeet, which. Jane's going to clean the cage, and then the parakeet supposedly gets out and flies away. Right, right. <laughs> we meet Elvira, who is the housekeeper. She's played by Mady Norman, who I would know from Halloween 3 fame. Oh. <laughs> I don't really actually remember her from Halloween 3, but I guess she was a nurse in it. Wow. Which is weird to think Halloween 3 was only 20 years later. That's, that's like a movie shocking. that came out in 2001.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's crazy.
4: I think it's cool, though, that the movie introduces a deadline pretty early. Yeah. Blanche is planning on selling the house.
2: Well, Elvira in six weeks. is, it seems, a close confidant of Blanche. Well, who else does she have? Yeah, I know.
4: Yeah, Elvira, I guess we should explain, is sympathetic to Blanche. She doesn't like Jane, so we see her as one of the good guys that's on right. this
2: front. Yes.
4: But yeah, they discuss this plan, this deadline that's approaching. Blanche wants to sell the house. It's going to happen in six weeks. Obviously, it's time for a major change. Everyone knows it. Blanche knows it. Elvira knows it. But is it too late?
2: Right. Is the big question. Everyone's in agreement. Look, Jane is not right for this world. (laughs) We need to get her help. Yeah. Because downstairs, we get our first clue that
4: Jane is not just mean. She's not just some crazy bitch. There's... A deep problem going on because she's sitting there with the doll of herself from when she was a child, and the doll is singing. Not really, but she's hearing the voices of the singing. She starts singing herself as an old lady. I love the cuts here where we're seeing Blanche upstairs in her wheelchair overhearing this. I could just imagine the chills you would get because (laughs) she's fucked. It's not the same thing as... Oh, I'm just dealing with someone with mental illness. Right. I am at their mercy. There yeah. is no hope for me if this person starts wigging out. I know. And all of a sudden you hear this shit downstairs. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck's going on down <laughs> right. there? This I'm is who brings me a oh, yeah. letter
2: to, to daddy. <laughs> daddy. <laughs> oh no. That friggin' postman. <laughs> <laughs> blow kisses instead of stamps. Oof.
3: The kisses the postman says <laughs> The
0: Postman says that's best to do. And do as I am told. I'm mama's little angel. And papa says I'm good as gold. But when I'm very bad. And answer back and sass. Then I'm mama's little devil. And papa says I've got the brass. Now I wish that you would tell me. Cause I'm much too young to know.
4: So it's all becomes sort of this mirage, this delusion that builds over time. I think one of the early sequences with Jane singing and then the it's lit from like underneath, so it looks very scary and horrifying when uh-huh. she sees herself in the mirror and she realizes she's old Oof. and she screams that hoarse scream. That's something you think you would build towards, but it's early in the movie. So it's clear that it's more than just a one-way ticket of delusion. There's, like, this conflict of fighting reality to get back to this.
2: It's not unlike Total Recall. (laughs) By the way, do you know how many times I've looked in a mirror and had that experience? (laughs) I've broken every mirror in my apartment. (laughs) Like, no, I
4: can't. (laughs) Cannot live with the horror. When it becomes clear that Blanche intends to sell the house, Jane rightly suspects Blanche will commit her to a psychiatric hospital once the house is sold, even though Jane already knew because she was spying and eavesdropping on Blanche, having this secret out in the open is like the final push into oblivion. It ramps up the nuttiness, the hostility. Honestly, I'm reminded of when you and I (laughs) lived together in the apartment, and you're like, I'm moving in with Lindsay. I felt like... Baby Jane, at that
2: point, I was yeah. like, losing it. Things were falling apart. <laughs> you <laughs> stopped bringing me my dinner. <laughs> brought brought me a rat.
4: Uh, yeah, well, there's yeah, plenty of absolutely. It. I'm just like down in the kitchen singing. I'm writing a letter. <laughs> You're upstairs <laughs>
2: trying to find Elvira to see if we can get rid of you. Yeah, but you were looking for Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. That's true. Yes, <laughs> I kind of always am. Really. She
4: removes the telephone from Blanche's room, further cutting her off from the outside world. She also serves Blanche the dead parakeet as lunch, Oof. which is a shocking moment, and I'm sure definitely got audiences to react in 62. In it is weird to me, though, watching this now, how much Blanche no-sells this. right? She never mentions it, which is weird. I know. I guess like her
2: whole strategy
4: with Jane is to pretend like it's not happening.
2: Yeah, yeah, I feel like she feels close to the finish line. She's just trying to ride this out. Yeah,
4: definitely. Jane leaves the house, and while she's gone, Blanche tries to throw a note asking for help to the neighbors. Oh, just pathetic. It has like, please contact Dr. Shelby. Right. So, again, pretty early in the whole story here. Fairly early, and she's already
2: realizing, like, oh, no. I don't really understand these windows. With the bars on the outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, like, they're open. Right. But, oh, The most pathetic attempt to, like, yell to them?
4: I guess she's, like, afraid, but I agree. It's at I a part when Jane's like... not
2: around, though. Like, she's gone.
4: Yeah. And she's just I, like,
2: hey. I, I was like, a little frustrated. <laughs> yelling from the second story. Hey. Hey. I feel like she
4: could have done more with the yelling. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jane's out in the world trying to launch a revival of her old act.
2: Oh, no. This was hidden close to home, too. <laughs> Getting it, the band
4: back together. It's the delusion of Sunset Boulevard maxed out to the ultimate cringe level. I don't know how to explain it. Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard is sort of similar to Baby Jane, but Norma Desmond was an adult actress in films, Baby Jane, as far as we can tell, was just, like, a vaudeville singer that falls out of fashion, and then she was, like, a mercy actress. Like, no one's looking for Baby Jane. No, no. Not that people were looking for Norma Desmond either, but Norma Uh, Desmond seems like she was legitimately somebody. And,
2: you know, that's what we come to find out the title means. Whatever happened to Baby Jane is the question that no one's asking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I used to say, whatever
4: happened to BJ? Yeah. (laughs) Beej. baby jane that's right everyone's like who cares yeah (laughs) she's placing an ad in the newspaper we don't know exactly what this ad says yet we'll find out later of course jane arrives home in time to intercept blanche's note which is just laying in the driveway crumpled up just pathetic
2: blanche come on i know (laughs) it's a sad showing As we
4: said, I I definitely think there are opportunities for Blanche to just start screaming, help me, help me, but just fails on every level. My sister's a lunatic. The next scene is pretty great. It's this long, drawn-out moment where Jane knows that Blanche has thrown this note out, but they have this conversation. Jane's withholding this little tidbit, just waiting, waiting. She's looking out the window at one point, and... Blanche is like, if I w- hadn't been in this accident, if I wasn't in this chair, you couldn't treat me like this. <laughs> and she's just like, but you are, Blanche. <laughs> Just the greatest delivery. Yep. <laughs> you
0: are in that chair. Did you have a nice drive? What are you talking about? Nothing, dear. I... So long since you were out of the house, I thought perhaps you'd gone for a drive or something. You know, I, I was thinking... It's ever so long since we had a talk Oh, uh, you know a real talk about the future and everything Jane I didn't want you to be worried about the house even if I do have to sell it we'll still be together Glad you're not going to sell this house Daddy bought this house and he bought it for me you don't think I remember that do you? You're wrong, Jane. You've just forgotten. I bought this house for the two of us when I signed my first contract. You don't think I remember anything, do you? There are a whole lot of things I remember, and you never paid for this house. Baby Jane Hudson made the money that paid for this house. That's who! You don't know what you're saying. Blanche, you aren't ever gonna sell this house and you aren't ever going to leave it, either. Jane. Jane! Do you remember when I first came back after the accident? You promised you wouldn't ever talk about that again. I know I did, but I'm still in this chair. After all those years, I'm still in this chair. Doesn't that give you some kind of responsibility? Jane, I'm just trying to explain to you how things really are. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. And tell me, what are these awful things I'm supposed to be doing to you? Well, I. I I meant. You wouldn't have to work so hard. And I, I was thinking maybe. Maybe Elvira could come in more often. Maybe she could even live with us. We don't need Elvira. You, you get so tired. You, you there's so much to do and you're not well. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should get a checkup or something. That would be wonderful. Perhaps we could we could find a really good doctor. Yeah, we could get hold of that nice Dr. Shelby, couldn't we? Yeah, let's see. What's his number again? And under no circumstances tell my sister the contents of this note. It's not me that needs a Dr. Blanche.
4: At this point, and this will be something that recurs throughout the rest of the film, at this point, Blanche is already now too afraid to even look at her food That's right. because of the parakeet right. incident. Right. So,
2: I mean, even though she doesn't mention it, it's had an effect.
4: Yeah. She seems willing to tell Jane that she's afraid to eat, but they don't get into details. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we meet Edwin Flagg, played by Victor Buono. I was kind of surprised that he was nominated for an Oscar, not because he's not good in it, but it does feel like he's not in it all that much, but... I guess that happens sometimes with supporting roles. Yeah. This really feels like a two-person movie. I'd say so. its heart. Right. But, okay.
2: Elvira and Edwin Flagg are just kind of off to the side and weave their way in. But
4: Yeah, they're... I, I mean, I don't want to say props, but they're right. they are just sort of like enhancement to yeah. the story between these two
2: sisters. I'd say I'm an Edwin Flagg type, just sort of... Uh... Trying to pick up gigs with fading p- former stars. <laughs> in Edwin's first
4: scene, we we see the ad that Jane placed in the paper. It says, Established STAR, all caps, <laughs> Requires a accompanist to work on song and dance numbers for nightclubs, personal appearances, etc. Must be experienced and versatile. Musician... Call Miss Jane Hudson, H-O-5-6259. So Edwin lives with his mother. They're a mother and son family down on their luck. They don't really have any money. Yeah. Wondering when they were up on their luck. Edwin deciding to answer the ad. He at least actually knows how to play piano. It's That's not true. A yes. a total. It's fraud. not a con or anything. Not initially, but no. you start to yeah. wonder what's going on later. Blanche is afraid to eat. Another iconic moment where Jane doesn't bring Blanche's breakfast, and Blanche asks about it. <laughs> and she's like, "You don't get your breakfast because you didn't eat your not That's right. <laughs> There's things that you pop up throughout this movie. You're like, "Oh, this is where this is from." Like, yeah, I've, okay, I've definitely yes. heard right. some of this stuff or heard
2: homages or parodies or like versions of it, of it. Yeah. yeah it is funny though like i am kind of on jane's side here
4: she fed her, her own parakeet <laughs> yeah i know Look, but it's like there's bo- no good guys really at the i know end of the day. i know
2: i know but and obviously jane is like completely off her rocker but what is the deal blanche like why are you so like you've earned this breakfast or whatever you deserve me bringing you breakfast
4: well that's a bit well what was she supposed to do she you can't didn't bring me my breakfast
2: Can you ask?
4: Well, I think the idea is that it's way past the time it should have
2: normally been there. (laughs) I'm teasing poor Blanche. Oh, shut up! Shut
0: up! What do you want this time? Who was on the telephone? None of your business. What were you ringing for? I'm hungry, Jane. Well, of course you're hungry. You didn't eat your dinner. That's why you're hungry. But you forgot my breakfast. I didn't forget your breakfast. I didn't bring your breakfast because you didn't eat your din. Did. Ha! <laughs> you know, we're right back where we started. When I was on the stage, you had to depend on me for everything. Even the food you ate came from me. Now you have to depend on me for. Your food again so you see we're right back where we started why are you doing this to me why doing what making me afraid to eat trying to make me starve myself don't be silly if you starve you die i don't know what you're talking about you really must be sick jane did you ever stop to think that if anything happened to me i mean anything bad there wouldn't be any money for you. I wouldn't be here to sign the checks. You wouldn't even have pocket money. Did you ever think of that? Yeah, I've thought about that. Why didn't you eat your dinner? Because I'm afraid. You made me afraid. (laughs) I thought you were supposed to be the big girl in this family. Nothing wrong with it. You're just a neurotic, Blanche. You know that? You're just a neurotic. Good morning, Elena.
3: Good
0: morning. Oh, please, Jane, I'm so hungry. I have to go now. But just a little. Please. No. You didn't eat your din-din, so you'll have to wait till lunchtime. Oh, Jane, please. Don't do this to me. Jane! Jane, please!
4: But part of the delusion for Jane is that she thinks that they're right back to where we started because part of her being a spoiled little brat when she was baby Jane was she would throw these tantrums and be like, I can do whatever I want because it's my money. Meanwhile, like, me, as, like, you know, the scumbag I am, I'm like, well, she does have a point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, who's this fucking dad to tell her what to do? Yeah. Well, where's your income, dad? Right. (laughs) You think uh, they're coming to the show for you? (laughs) I'm putting asses in seats, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When she would say this shit, she was basically like, I'm the breadwinner. Everybody needs me. And now she's like, you need me now because you don't get to eat without me and blah, blah, blah. just this like warped idea of what's going on. You do have to imagine that in the years. I mean, it's just like what the fuck?
2: <laughs> I know.
4: She's crazy enough. I don't want to spoil the ending, but okay, so she's in a drunken stupor. Yep. As early as the 30s. This is the person that you want to be in charge of you now that you're a paraplegic? No, I know. Like,
2: like really, Blanche? You didn't think this through? I would have hired, like, a full-time person, like a live-in care person. Well, maybe the money would have run out too fast. Yeah, that's I, who true. Knows. Just seems
4: like a bad scene. To well, do guy. they have
2: to live in a mansion? Can't they leave, Yeah, can't they live in a one-floor uh, really? place? It's too Blanche's disadvantage to have these
4: stairs. I guess it's a sense of pride. She bought the mansion with her first studio
2: contract money. I you get know. it. Yeah. Hard to give that up. Yeah, I do
4: think that something you learn over the course of the movie is that they both are clinging to something that's gone. Right. Not the same thing, but their own version of it in a way. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, yeah. Living in the
2: past to some degree.
4: She didn't want to sell the house right away. I mean, she does now because I think she realizes, like, oh, shit. I got to get out of this this situation. But, yeah, yeah, I think there was a a little bit of pride that, you know, fucking with her (laughs) a little bit. Like, I'm not going to give up this thing that i earned sure yeah jane sends elvira home rather than letting her work which is one of blanche's only connections to the outside world so it's further isolation
2: i don't know elvira i I don't know if i'm like just letting jane tell me that i can't come i mean obviously jane lives in the house but at some point are you like calling the cops
4: well she does push back eventually yeah i guess she doesn't like jane but I don't know that she
2: would it's have still not place to, to... Yeah.
4: yeah I don't know that she would even have reason to be
2: that suspicious of her yet cause... or think or know that the situation has taken like a darker yeah. turn than what it was, yes,
4: right Jane meanwhile is further constructing a world that will be sympathetic to her own delusions. she brings Blanche another meal and casually mentions that there's rats in the cellar. <laughs> That might pop up later. Serves up a comedically enormous rat. (laughs) I mean, this rat- (laughs) I know, it's nuts. Is like the size of a loaf of bread. (laughs) I was having
2: nightmares, just- Ugh.
4: This is where you get into the overblown, exaggerated reactions, like the definition of pure camp, the reason why this has become this iconic thing, you know, drag queens love it. Okay. Okay. Just so over the top. I I sort of equate it in the same genre a little bit as Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. yeah. It's so overdone. I think this movie is not quite as cheeseball as Valley of the Dolls. It's just, it's a different style. So I think, yeah, maybe to 2021 eyes, it seems like it, but these are very serious actresses. It's just, it's a style that's so like, outlandish seeming now but this particular moment is so wild because after the rat reveal jane is in the hallway just cackling like a witch (laughs) and blanche's reaction is to just start spinning in a wheelchair screaming up to the heavens it's a real
2: horror show going on in this house
4: (laughs) yeah the first time i watched this with this particular scene, I just like couldn't believe. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. She's just spinning around, screaming. Well, you don't know what to do. It is a horrifying situation. It's dawning on her that she's trapped in this house, and she can't even eat now.
2: <laughs> trapped with this sister who just keeps trying to feed her dead animals.
4: Edwin Flagg arrives, and there's a certain level of sadness to these scenes because it's basically two losers desperately trying to fool the other into thinking that they're not a loser. Yeah.
2: Sounds like a lot of the dates that I went on.
4: (laughs) I was going to say, it sounds like this podcast. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually the description on Apple Podcasts.
2: Oh, it should be.
4: (laughs) No, but clearly Jane is
2: disturbed. She's wearing 17 pounds of makeup, looks wild and unkempt. you don't think edwin is getting fooled here he's not seeing this and thinking oh this is a successful person
4: well she lives in a mansion that's true i think the that idea helps. is that edwin and his mother are on rough times so he's trying to impress her by acting as if he has a secretary but it's right. really his mother acting as if he has all this experience that he's professional blah 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 they're both conning each other a little bit it gets even darker when Jane says, guess who I am, and then immediately backs off of that. He's like, well, it's not fair to make you guess. I'm baby Jane Hudson, and <laughs> Edwin pretends to know who that is, although he likely would not even have been alive when baby Jane was in
2: her heyday. What level of fame? It's so hard. to like. I don't know how famous you could be in 1918. <sighs> I don't know. Whatever prominent fame existed there had to be a lot of people who were completely unaware of who you were right more so than not it seems like
4: i think you could spread i mean you could spread the word on radio
2: yeah you could
3: <laughs> so a lot of radio tour. buzz out there Yeah.
4: <laughs> i don't know how you like grow an audience though like okay I know. so if you're touring around and you you're just like okay here's a little girl that sings <laughs> Are you going to sell tickets? I, I don't I, know. I don't know how that works. I
2: guess the baby doll thing really was a big hit.
4: It must have happened, though. Yeah. It's not like it didn't happen. No, I, I know. I just don't know how it happened. Right. <laughs> we don't get it. But as you pointed out, Edwin probably isn't necessarily buying this. So how quickly does his whole thing morph into this grift well, where he starts becoming concerned about only the money? Or was it always a grift? I can't really I know, tell. but like I'm...
2: Why does he think that she's going to pay? Well,
4: it was a one ad yeah. asking for a professional musician. I know. I, I don't know why she wouldn't Well,
2: I, Because I would show up there and be like, I, I don't think this person is in touch with reality.
4: That's probably why he's asking. He wants yeah. to get confirmation on something, because he's mostly interested in the money. They, at one point, do perform a little
2: bit. Her one song that we know so well.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It actually kicks off when Blanche starts ringing the buzzer, so Jane runs up there to shut her up, and then she actually rips the buzzer out of the wall so that she (laughs) can't buzz anymore. yeah. (laughs) Well, she's just basically one by one cutting off every single line of communication she possibly has.
2: But I did hate that buzzer. I was happy to see it go.
4: Yeah, it is annoying, the sound. Jane and Blanche face off in an argument upstairs while Edwin's downstairs, and... There's a confrontation over whether or not Blanche allowed Jane to have friends or whatever, and then <laughs> Jane just slaps her. Yeah. So this is the first is, instance of physical violence.
2: This is sort of what I picture relationships among sisters to just be like.
4: Yeah, especially unmarried sisters yeah, older living I together. Think so. A lot of slapping going yep. on.
2: Yes. <laughs> a lot of mental abuse. So while she's up there,
4: Edwin starts looking through all the old sheet music, and virtually every song has the word daddy in yes it. a lot of daddy material he starts playing I would be i've like, written a letter to daddy yeah. and then she comes downstairs
2: i don't know if this music is for me that's what i'm thinking if i'm edwin
4: i think he just wants money he yeah, doesn't i don't give a shit about right whatever the music is so he starts playing she comes down she starts singing blanche is up th- upstairs like rubbing her face like listening to this being like what the fuck is going yeah. on down there <laughs> She's like, I can't imagine that it's what I'm thinking. And it's like, no, it is. She's literally trying to relaunch this baby Jane career. <laughs> this fifty-five-year-old ghoul covered in makeup looks like it was applied with a shotgun. Yeah,
2: that's right. <laughs> Oof. Thirty years from now when we do greatest moments revisited.
4: <laughs> no, we just will have never stopped.
3: Yeah, which I know. In
4: its own way is even sadder. <laughs> yeah, it's worse. <laughs> So yeah, she's going to pay Edwin $100 a week. She says, though, that she has to take care of some, quote, family matters, which is sort of ominous, really. You're like, what exactly does she mean by that? I have to take care of some family matters. It should take about a week. It's like, okay. I don't know. I guess you could read into it that maybe she's planning on killing her sister. Or it's, getting rid of her in some way? I'm not
2: ruling it out.
4: But I don't know. You also don't necessarily think that she's working with a master
2: plan. She just seems kind of delusional, so. She's freewheeling it. Anything's on the table. When Jane
4: drives Edwin home after their first meeting, Blanche scrounges around for some chocolates stashed in Jane's room. Anything for sustenance. She hasn't eaten in days. Blanche also discovers evidence that Jane is attempting to learn how to forge her signature. Perhaps preparing for a life without Blanche, but also she notices checks are missing, so Blanche is unknowingly already funding Jane's completely absurd revival attempt. <laughs> <laughs> because wow. she actually, in the checkbook, makes notes like four costumes for That's right. actors. Yes, or something. I know. <laughs> Bummer which is like what people did in those days they were very like detailed about checkbooks especially people of a certain generation probably people that lived through the great depression that kind of a thing
2: but unknowingly funding
4: this comeback <laughs> it's hilarious it's like oh my god you know blanche then desperately using the banister drags herself down
2: the stairs She's thought about it a few times. Yeah,
4: they did have a scene where she was considering it, but she couldn't do it. But now she has no other choice.
2: She's so pissed that her money's being spent on these (laughs) bullshit costumes. Yeah, that was the final straw.
4: Like, are you fucking kidding me? So she drags herself downstairs to the only phone left in the house to call Dr. Shelby for help. It's a race against time as Jane is out picking those costumes up. Of course, though, it's too late because Jane returns home to find Blanche still on the phone. We get that iconic shot over the shoulder. Oh yeah. With Blanche sitting on the floor on the phone, Jane coming through that door, standing in the doorway, watching it. This movie has to have the world record of someone catching someone in the act of something. Absolutely, yes. And it's always Blanche. No, no, it's not always because one time Elvira catches Jane in the act of That's true doing the voice imitation for the liquor order and all that stuff. Yeah, all
2: right. A lot of Blanche being caught. Yeah,
4: by Jane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, just over and over. (laughs) They go to that well a lot. True. Jane kicks Blanche unconscious.
2: Oh, yeah. This is just brutal. A
3: beat. Oh, yeah.
4: She kicked her for real, and I think Joan Crawford was actually hurt. And then later, she put weights in her shirt so that she was even heavier so that when... Betty Davis tried to drag her. She threw her back. (laughs) Like, they were fucking with each other
2: nonstop. That's awesome. (laughs) So she kicks Blanche and then calls Dr. Shelby back. Just a full-on conversation in this voice. Imitating Blanche's voice to tell him he won't be needed after all. Which, I cannot believe that he doesn't react more suspiciously to this after the way that Blanche acted. Yeah. 'Cause I mean, I know he thinks this is Blanche calling back, but it seems so odd. Right. She's like, Oh, she went to a different doctor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was quick. And he's like, Oh, she wanted a different doctor. Okay. That makes sense. People like different doctors. <laughs>
4: well, you have to understand, he was probably like, I can't believe I gotta drive
2: over That's to this true, yeah. House. Anything to get out of it. He's you know, like this, not my responsibility now. This sounds on the up and up. <laughs>
4: She then manages to drag Blanche all the way back upstairs and tie her to her bed, although we don't get a visual on that yet, and they're they're saving that reveal for later because it's actually a lot wilder than you would think. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like a crazy shot. Elvira shows up unexpectedly on her day off, and Jane decides to fire her, claiming that she and Blanche are moving to a smaller house. Very near abruptly, the beach. by the way. Just kind
2: of mid convo, you're fired.
4: Well, at first she's just like, we, we won't need you, we're moving to the beach. And then she, Elvira starts asking questions. Yeah, yeah. She's
2: like, well, you're fired.
4: <laughs> Get out. I want your key. Yeah. And Elvira's like, well, I forgot the key. And she's like, all right, we'll just leave. But Jane happened to be on her way out, so the suspicious Elvira sneaks into the house and attempts to access Blanche's room, which is locked. Concerned by the lack of response from inside the room, Elvira tries to use a hammer to take the door off of its
2: hinges.
1: yeah.
4: But once again, Jane returns home to catch someone in the act. That's right, yes. I do
2: feel like Elvira's not giving Jane the appropriate amount of, I guess, worry, concern. I would be more worried about... Jane seems like a loose cannon, and Elvira... Yeah, well, she does turn her back
4: to her, which is a mistake. Yeah, yeah.
2: But I think, like, one-on-one, Elvira was... Like not
4: like intimidated her odds, by her, she's yeah. like, "I'm, I can beat this chick." Well, yeah, ass. when she puts that hammer down and yeah. then she gets back into Jane's face, you're thinking like she's gonna say, "You open this door, I'm gonna kick your ass." Yeah, right. Instead, she's like, "I'm gonna call the police." Yeah, which is like, "Come on, Elvira." <laughs> so she threatens to call the police. So Jane hands the key over to her as Elvira enters Blanche's room and sees Blanche with tape over her mouth, arms tied to that handle that's over her bed that helps her to get in and out of it. Just in sort of like this almost bondage-type scene. Uh-huh. It's a lot weirder than you would think. Like, her arms are up with the gag scenario. In that moment, Jane takes the hammer and bashes Elvira in the head. Oof. Killing her. Poor Elvira. So now she's taking this to the next level. Yeah. Blanche obviously couldn't warn her. Her mouth was covered. As if... Jane couldn't get any more modeling. She's looking through scrapbooks of her career. Right. It's like, what the fuck? Edwin shows up, but Jane denies him entry. Although, the first time I watched this movie, I thought that she was talking to Edwin and that Edwin could hear what she was saying because she's like, I can't let you in. I can't let you in. But I noticed the second time, she's not actually talking to him. Like he oh, right. He can't hear yes. her.
2: She's talking to herself.
4: Yeah. Because he keeps ringing the doorbell, and as far as he thinks, like no one's answering, and so he just like gets pissed and leaves. Uh I think he was expecting to get paid this day, right? But she's now got a body to deal with.
2: Yeah, shockingly, it didn't work out. Edwin,
4: back at his house, Edwin's mother fills him in on the Hudson's sordid history, the accident, Uh the suspicions, the whole deal. What happened? Meanwhile, he's like, I don't care.
2: I know, Mom, I just want to get paid. I just wanted money. I played piano. I saw no money for it.
4: <laughs> I played piano for five seconds. I thought I was getting $100. <laughs> yeah,
2: I thought I got the best deal ever. It's like, well, think about it. Soon, the police are calling to tell Jane
4: that Elvira's cousin has reported her missing. This would probably be a couple days later. She disposes of the body. That, that whole sequence is sort of unclear to me what, yeah. what exactly is happening there.
2: Uh, is it like the wood chipper from Fargo? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, that would be wild if that happened.
2: <laughs> no, actually,
4: she just ate her. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Even though the police are not necessarily super suspicious yet, she's starting to feel as if the ground is shrinking a little bit beneath her feet. So Jane panics and prepares to leave with the idea of taking Blanche with her, but she's also regressing further and further into the past. She's talking about memories of rehearsing with her daddy on the beach. I guess that was somewhere where they would go to practice the routine and people would watch, and she would really get absorbed in that whole thing.
2: Yeah. I don't really want to hear this woman talk about this anymore. (laughs) It's
4: just like enough. It wasn't that great. Right. All right.
2: (laughs) We were humoring you. This is like me talking about my past. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
4: That definitely wasn't that great. Yeah. Blanche can barely speak. She's dehydrated. She's so weak. When Jane takes the tape off of her mouth, the accident comes up again. And it does seem as if Blanche is going to say something specific or new about it, but Jane doesn't want to talk about it. She freaks out again. We said we
2: don't talk about that. Before
4: they can leave the house, though... An inebriated Edwin is escorted to the property by police. He enters the home and discovers Blanche bound to her bed. Understandably, he freaks out and then flees and
2: then immediately notifies the authorities. Before he goes upstairs, though. Wait a second. Didn't Jane first, like, didn't the police first grab him because he was drunk? Yes. And then Jane was like, oh, yeah, he's with me. He can come in.
4: Well, yeah, he said he was on his way there, and she right. answered the door. And she,
2: like, confirms it. Right. But then it that blows up in her face.
4: Well, yeah, before he goes upstairs, though, I wanted to... I just was sort of summarizing, and now we're circling back. Oh,
2: okay, go ahead, please.
4: They go into the kitchen, Jane and Edwin, to have a drink, and she gives him a gift, and it's one of the baby Jane Oof. dolls. And... Number one, the way he's playing with the doll's legs is sort of inappropriate, in my opinion. It's sort of putting them in a lewd position. Okay,
2: I think that's fair. A fair criticism. It's insane to think
4: of a grown man walking down the street or whatever, or just having this doll.
2: Yeah, I would be like, I cannot accept this gift.
4: Because it's not a doll. It's almost the size of a child, really. Right. Maybe people's minds weren't as fucked up back I don't then. Know. I guess they weren't, but this—it just seems like what the fuck you it can't. Definitely have doesn't this.
2: look right. <laughs> it's unsettling.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! But yeah, then he goes upstairs. He discovers Blanche, and now he's run out into the night. So now everything's really blowing up. In one more act of infantile regression. Jane decides to take Blanche to the very beach where she sang as a child all those years ago. They arrive at night, and they're still there when it turns to day, and other people start arriving.
2: Yeah, no one really noticing that something's out of place here. Well, she's just laying there, I know, slowly dying. Kind of like fully clothed, though, on the beach. Like, laying on the beach fully clothed. I don't know, it looks odd.
4: Yeah, it is a surreal moment in the film, because... Up until this point, it has been very contained and claustrophobic and stuck to that house. And right. then all of a sudden, there's all these people around on a You're beach. Out in
2: the open, but it's still like claustrophobic because Blanche can't move.
4: Yeah, or talk very much. On the radio, we hear a police bulletin about Jane kidnapping her sister. And yep. Also, it seems like people are catching on about Elvira. But meanwhile, she's just playing in the sand as if she's a kid. I know. So this is it. This is the big surprise ending of the film, the big reveal.
2: Yeah, and I guess Jane has just regressed so incredibly at this point because she she just seems like completely lost at this point.
4: Oh, yeah, even when this big reveal happens, she doesn't even seem to care that much because yeah. she's just sort of
3: off right. on her own thing.
2: And this is the, the moment where I was like, oh, that's why the car crash scene earlier was so weirdly shot. Because it's supposed to build to this reveal where they explain that what actually happens. Did you have any
4: idea that this was coming or anything like this?
2: No, I didn't. I, I really wasn't expecting... I, I guess I didn't know what to expect. I didn't have any expectations built in my head.
4: Yeah, I don't think I did either. Although, I did still feel like there was something more to this. Yeah, But I, think, I wasn't anywhere real, really right. necessarily close to what it was or anything like that. But I did kind of expect there to be like one more thing. I felt
2: like it wasn't just going to end with Jane being arrested. I felt like there had to be something between the two sisters. I just, yeah, I had no idea what. Blanche, starving, dehydrated,
4: and near death, lying on a blanket in the sand, tells the real story of the infamous car accident once and for all. She can relieve Jane's guilt, Telling her sister that she is paraplegic through her own fault.
0: If I die you'll be alone. But they be mean to me like they were before. I'll be calm. I don't want to hear Jane. I'm I'm dying. There's no time. You must listen. I made you waste your whole life thinking you'd crippled me. Please stop. You didn't do it, Jane. I did it myself. Don't you understand? I crippled myself. You weren't driving that's nice I wouldn't let you drive. I made you go open the gates. I watched you get out of the car. You'd been so cruel to me at the party, imitating me, making people laugh at me. I watched you get out of the car. I wanted to run you down, crush you, you saw the car coming. I hit the gates. I snapped my spine. mean all this time we could have been friends.
4: On the night of the accident, Blanche tried to run Jane over because she was angry at Jane for mocking her at a party earlier that night, which I guess is the whole reason they introduced the voice mimicking, because that's essentially what we're supposed to take, that she was doing the voice right, getting people to laugh. Because the voice is perhaps the one talent that we do see an adult Jane
2: have. That's true. Yeah, it is impressive.
4: She no longer has the singing voice. Not that... I really thought that baby Jane was a good singer, but adult Jane is definitely not a good singer and she doesn't really seem to have anything else going. Yeah. But she can do this voice. She's like a rich little. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if they gave us this scene, number 1, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis would have been too old to like film the scene, which is why they're not in the 1935 flashback other than a video. Right. Or a, a film of davis's yes but if they did give us any indication of a motivation then people would
2: perhaps start to guess where this is going
4: yeah they have to keep you in the dark completely it it, it does seem random that they're just introducing this concept of like they talk about dinner. it in a
2: way it feels like you would have seen this scene and you're like oh i must have missed that part doesn't right. it kind of feel that way
4: yeah blanche's spine broke when her car struck the iron gates outside their mansion
2: What a botch, by the way. Yeah. Just. She couldn't even hit her drunk sister. Really poorly executed. I mean, I'm glad that she was like, I'm willing to throw away my success over this. Yeah, well,
4: she obviously didn't think that was going to happen.
2: Yeah. Oh, we can just blame it on her being drunk. I slammed the car into her.
4: Blanche then dragged herself in front of the car's hood to stage the accident and frame Jane. She then took advantage of Jane's shock and subsequent bender. Removing the real dynamics of the accident from her mind, thus subjecting Jane to a life of guilt, loneliness, and servitude. And I guess because of Jane's fragile mental state, over time just convinced her that she actually did do it. Yeah. Because up until this moment, Jane did believe that she had hit her sister with a car. Put her in
2: this situation.
4: I guess maybe, who knows Like what they would have told the cops or whatever or maybe edwin's mom is right that the studio did cover it up or something well
2: i mean it is weird like no charges i i feel like jane something should have happened
4: yeah but only if blanche would push it yeah probably i guess it's just an accident all right fair enough and Jane's reaction is sort of heartbreaking in a way because she's just like, "Oh, you mean all this time we could have been friends." Right. And that's it. And then she's like, "Whoa, do you want ice cream? I'll like, yeah. oh, go buy some ice cream." And that's it. Uh, I know. There's no it's like, like this
2: big powerful moment and it can't even like resonate with Jane really. Meanwhile, Blanche is like, "Could you just bring me some
4: water? I'm about to please? die." Yeah. But I think she's almost like given up. Right. She's like, "I'm not going to be able to convince her to bring me water. Let's just not happen." What do you
2: think Blanche's fate is at the end of this movie?
4: Well, it remains unclear. Yeah. Jane goes to buy that ice cream, which she actually steals. Oh, the right. The guy's just yes. like, hey, that's 40 cents. And Jane's just like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Some life. The cops see her, and they know that her sister is missing. I'm not even sure who really reported Oh, Edwin. I, I, God, I'm an idiot. Yeah. I'm like, who reported her? So, yeah, the cops see Jane. They start questioning her. Meanwhile, Blanche is dying on a blanket and a crowd starts to gather and Jane takes that as an opportunity to start dancing. Yep.
2: Almost fully gone now. Thinking
4: she's a kid getting ready to to rehearse with her dad for the stupid show. And that's how the movie ends. And yeah, you don't really know for sure. I, I, I think because of this style of movie, you can assume that Blanche is dead. That's, that's just that's what, the way I was the taking vibe. It. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that they would wuss out on that. She was able to muster up her final confession, where you figure right. out that yeah. both of these sisters are evil and insane. I know. <laughs> You're like,
2: oh, great, so nobody was good. Right. Not a lot of redeeming qualities in the family. Maybe Elvira, and that's it. Yeah. Poor Elvira. <laughs> yeah, she's really the true victim here.
4: All right, so... We're going to skip over recommendations once again, just to save ourselves some time. We'd like to thank Karen for helping us out in the uh, older films department. Thanks for the engagement. Thanks for uh, leading us down this path. For sure. And thinking back to your list of movies that you sent us, I'm pretty sure we're going to attempt another one at some point next year. So if you stick with us... basically if you like old movies maybe you'll we'll do two a year keep an eye on that feed that's all yeah. we're gonna say i know that yeah. there's one from her, her list that i was thinking about for next year for sure so okay. that's how far in advance i plan for those of you new to the show <laughs> i'm always thinking <laughs> yeah. like all right what are we doing next year right right it's not as random as it seems unless we get listener requests then we it's like a curveball then it's like it's oh like we gotta shake do up. this now <laughs> certain things come off the list move around so yeah we're just scratching the surface with this one we're not experts on this movie it was new to both of us i, I tried to read up on some things and explore it a little bit but i wanted to experience it pure too i didn't want to just read up on everything and then just take that yeah as, totally as what it was i wanted to see what this movie was all about on my own first and i enjoyed it this is the kind of stuff that i really like, weird fucked up hollywood stories. Same. It does remind me of Sunset Boulevard, which is a movie i love a lot. It's got also like i said got a weird Valley of the Dolls vibe yeah. too. Which Yeah, is and i mean not not a slam in my world because i love Valley of the absolutely. Dolls absolutely. You
2: hit on Suddenly last summer, definitely see some uh, connections there too.
4: Yeah, and it's not Something that's faded away, as we pointed out, Mulholland Drive, Maps of the Stars. There are these dark, twisted movies that can push the envelope further now, obviously. But oh, sure, But this yeah. is like one of the blueprint ones. Right. This and Sunset Boulevard and, and a few others. This is where it all started with like, oh, you know what? Maybe having a child be a star is not necessarily great. Look what could happen.
2: It's good lesson. Oh, you think this yeah.
4: fame is all... Sunshine and roses. Oh wait, no.
2: Well, we're here to tell you it ain't.
4: <laughs> we're living proof. That's right. How weird would it be if one of us was like a former child star who sang songs like "I've Written a Letter to Daddy"?
2: <laughs> I think we'd get a lot of material for the show.
4: <laughs> yeah, we would use like the YouTube clips. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh
4: God, folks, folks, we're out of time. So thanks to Karen. As always, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod subscribe on Apple Podcast, Podbean, whatever else. Let us know if you'd like a sticker or have a listener request. Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach nineteen eighty three, Matt Crosby. This is it for September. So you know what that means. Greatest October coming up Finally. next Finally. Yeah, usually in the past, Matt, you would be mentioning Greatest October as early as like January. (laughs) I've tried to get better about that. Getting hyped up for it. But yeah, I think we have a pretty interesting slate of movies this year. Yeah, there's some good stuff. From all different eras and some modern ones. I know people really appreciate the modern stuff.
2: That's true. Those are uh, uh,
4: some classic stuff too.
2: Big download episodes on the modern stuff.
4: All right, so we thank you for listening, and we'll we'll talk to you soon with the, with the kickoff of Greatest October. Ten
5: decisions shape your life You'll be aware of five about And seven ways to go through school Either you noticed or left out And seven ways to get ahead Seven reasons to drop out When I said I can see me in your eyes And you said I can see me in your bed That's not just friendship, that's romance too
3: political right now, but if I did see Moby on the street, I would fucking kill him.